We've been in, in, sitting with each of the Ten Commandments for the past weeks now, sort of moving through them one at a time. We talked about how, when Jesus was asked, how do you understand the Ten Commands? Um, how, do you, how do you summarize the law? Remember we talked about how Jesus mentioned that the law could be summarized in this way, that number one, he says, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. And the second one is love your neighbor, love people as yourself. He says, if you do this, you have essentially gotten the entire deep meaning of what these words were meant to be. Loving God, loving people. Now, we know that the commandments themselves, far from being kind of restrictive, prohibitive words, which is, which is how oftentimes they're thought of maybe today because we're looking at them from a, a kind of different cultural context. But we must remember that when the Ten Commands were given, they were given as part of a larger teaching of God called the law to his people. His people had been for generations enslaved. They were just coming out of Egypt. They had no guiding principles, no constitution, no sense of real identity. God gives them a law, and then out of that law, there's a centerpiece. The, the kernel of the law uh, was these ten words. And, and the, like the Lord said to his people, he says, look, what I'm giving you is a gift. If you live these words out as a people, you will inevitably, as night follows day, experience the blessing of the Lord. It, is, it, was, it was God's desire not to cheat them out of life, but to have them live life as a people. And these ten words really are ten gifts. And so as we look now at number nine, this whole idea of, of not bearing false witness, I thought it was important for us to look at it out of the context of where the previous commands were, at least the three that preceded it, and kind of see if there's actually a continuity of sorts. So look with me at in Exodus 20 here, verses 13 through 16. We'll just open up with this. You shall not murder, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery, 15. You shall not steal. And in verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It is... You were to speak true words about people. In some ways, it's similar, this particular ninth command is similar to the other three that preceded because they all are talking about, I think you can see it, but they all actually are talking about robbing someone of something. The, if you look at the, the first there, verse 13, you shall not murder, it's talking about robbing someone of their life. You, sh you, not, you shall not commit adultery, is robbing someone of their family. You shall not steal, robbing someone of their property. You shall not bear false witness, robbing someone of their reputation. So all of these things have to do with, with taking something from someone and making sure that we're not to do this, that we are to be a people who bless, not steal, not take away. Now, in our culture, uh, I think we may not realize it initially, but this ninth command is so relevant. I mean, they all are, but this one is really relevant because I think of some of the dynamic that's taken place in this just recent period of our lives with the astonishing explosion of technology and its impact. I mean, we now uh, have the ability to uh, communicate in ways uh, and spread uh, news in ways that was never before even possible. I mean, this, this whole social networking component, the way word can get spread, even the way in which the news industry has changed. I mean, everybody, even this last political cycle, everybody's talking about the changing nature of communication. In previous generations, part of what distinguished someone um, was their ability to access information. But for the first time in history, really, that is no longer an issue. Everyone who has access to the Internet has access to astonishing amounts of information. The real question is how to limit and narrow the scope of what we actually engage. And that is becoming a far more profound challenge. Even the news outlet outlets are finding that they can no longer contain the flow of news and information because it's coming from all directions in many different ways. 
And a lot of times there's, there's very little to differentiate uh, what is actually true and what isn't true. And so it's creating this kind of communication chaos. I say that because I was also reading a lot about, and I think you probably have heard about it as well, how there are actually people who are experiencing uh, you know, things said about them that are actually untrue, or if they were true, were not completely true. We know that there's a lot of things that are happening, especially with the younger community. It's probably more adept even at, at the social networking components of what's happening here. And, and there, we, we re, we've been reading a lot about cyberbullying and about how some people uh, are being so shamed uh, through the communication processes that the, some of them have even taken their lives. And this is becoming somewhat of an epidemic in certain circles. And so there's a lot of concern and discussion that's taking place about the power of words and the power of opinions and the power in which people make judgments and judge other people through these words. This, this idea of bearing false witness, of, of speaking things about others that are damaging and demeaning is actually extraordinarily relevant. It's happening all around us. And so, in fact, we know that there are constantly, you know, it's very difficult to defend against things that are said, too. We, we, we're living in this time where people are solicited to give their opinions, their feedback. So businesses have to be aware of it. People are constantly being put in positions where they have to kind of decide, you know, sometimes in a moral dilemma. If I acknowledge this, even though it's not true, if I fight it, I may make it a bigger issue. If I don't say anything, then I almost, almost am allowing it to be said. And there are a lot of discussions frequently connected to weighing out, is it better to say nothing and kind of ignore it and hope it goes away, or should it be addressed immediately, corrected, or at least confronted? And these are real conversations that are happening, and they're connected to this ninth command, this whole idea of being honest in our speak, speaking about others. And so it's, it's to me, uh, something that I think is, is extraordinarily uh, connected to things like insinuations and falsities and other types of things. So on the one hand, technology is good. It's given us access to information in a way that was never even thought conceivably possible. On the other hand, it's created new avenues for people to be hurt and damaged. And... Um, that, that, that is always the case, typically, with advancement or technological movements, is it has good and bad attached to it. And, and, and so we're in this very interesting period. Now, the Bible has actually a lot to say about, about this idea of telling truth and speaking words of life over people and also misrepresenting or speaking lies. Look at one verse I want to put up here real quickly from Proverbs 25, 18. And it, Part of the reason I'm putting it up is because I, I thought it would, I never re, I don't remember reading it before quite the way that it came out in this NLT version, and I just thought it was amazing, amazing in its own way. Telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, it says. It says it's as wounding, it's basically like wounding them with a sword, and then it says, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. So an axe, a sword, and an arrow. That's what telling lies are. And really, if someone was talking about it last night, they were saying, you know, when you tell something, say something false about another person, that it, it sometimes is extraordinarily blunt and damaging. Other times it's, it's actually, you know, le it's, it's, it's less obvious but still damaging. And sometimes it gets very deeply into us. A lie can be like an arrow shot in our back. It can really hurt when someone s spreads false things about us or mismanages the truth about something. And so what is at stake is the perception of other people and we might, some, people, some of us might say, well, I don't really care about how people think of me. But you know what? There may be some merit to saying, I'm not, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I know who I am, and God knows who I am. But there's, there is something the Bible does say about the need to honor our reputation, that it actually does matter 
that is considered, and you read the Proverbs, they're filled with reminders to not take lightly one's reputation, that it's something that a reputation that is good, that has, has taken um, many years to build, can be destroyed by one major dis- bad decision or a foolhardy season in one's life can actually have a great undermining impact to what has been a, a, a very difficult thing to build. So in our desire to sort of live independently and free from other people's assessments, the Bible reminds us that actually a good name is, has value. And so it does matter. And so when someone is trying to undermine our good name, it could be, it could be real theft. And look what Shakespeare wrote in, a, in Othello. It's a great, a great quotation from Othello that I think is, is just puts it amazingly well. And I'm not like a big Shakespeare guy, but I love this quote. Good name in man or woman, dear my Lord, is the immediate jewel of their souls. Who steals my purse, my money, steals trash. Tis something, nothing. Twas mine, tis his, and has been slave to thousands. But he who filches for me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. So Shakespeare is making the case, and we can debate it, that some things, you know, it's one thing to get robbed of money, and his point is, what is money? Money has been slave to, to thousands, and, and it'll be passed on by somebody else. But my good name, uh, he takes, the one who takes my good name, who spreads untruth about my good name and ruins my reputation before others, this is something that it doesn't benefit him directly at all, but it, it significantly damages me. That's the point that's being made here. I was laughing about it because someone in between services, one of the, one of the um, young men that I was talking to said that when he was listening to me share on this, this quotation from Othello, he said it reminded him of an incident when he was in school. And he says uh, somebody stole only one of his shoes. And he says he was so mad because he said, you know, if you're going to steal them, you should steal them both so you can wear them. But to only take one shoe, that's cruel, he said. That's really cruel. There's no value to him, but I lose everything, you know? And I was thinking, well, okay, I get it. I go, I'm glad you connected with the message, you know? Uh, um, But the point being is that, you know, there are certain things that are really valuable. And I think, here's the thing. We as followers of Jesus, those of us who've made that decision, and and I think most of us would say we we were there. That's why we're here. Not everybody's there yet. But we are committing ourselves when we decide to follow Jesus to be a people of honest words, that one of the things we are committing ourselves to is, is to not be dishonest in our communication patterns. That we, are, we seek, maybe some of us have had a past where lying has been part of our life. And it's amazing how we can begin to, you know, be comfortable with being less than truthful people. One of the things the Bible reminds us in the great chapter that addresses love in 1 Corinthians 13 is that love rejoices in truth. That, that there's an essential honesty that is connected to following Jesus. You know, when Jesus, when the the Messiah is described, it says that he was, in him there was no guile. That there was nothing of falsity in Jesus. That that there was not a a, a misdirection taking place. He was who he, he was the real deal. He was an honest version, an authentic version. And God calls us to be followers of Jesus. In Ephesians 4.15, we're told this, instead, we will speak the truth in love. Look at this. Growing in every way, how are we doing? More and more like Christ, who is the head of the church. He's, he's the head of his body, right? This is to be a quest, a life quest for those of us who are following the Lord. So the Lord increasingly is reflected in our lives. It doesn't mean we're ever going to get it completely right. In fact, I'm absolutely confident we will not. 
but we are trying to follow in the big steps of our Savior. And we're trying to live our lives increasingly by his grace and through the power of his presence at work in our lives, um, letting ourselves be challenged by his words and by his example, so that increasingly where we go, there comes life and blessing. So that where there has been the penetration of damage and, and maybe sometimes even generational, if I can use the phrase, curse almost, that by the, by the reality of Christ at work in our lives, there comes a turnaround and the new beginning of a, of a, of a pattern of blessing. Not perfection. We will stumble and fall. We do and we'll continue to do so. But an essential growth that's taking place in our lives, part of the way that's going to be, ref that, that's going to be reflected is, is, in, is in our communication patterns. And we talked about this, if you think about it, when we remember we were talking about the sixth command, thou shalt, you know, don't kill. And we were talking about how probably it, most of us are not going to be able to connect with that commandment in, a, in its literal description of killing. But what, the way Jesus captures that commandment when he says, but I tell you that if you are angry with your brother or your sister, without a cause. I mean, there's this sense of in your anger, if anger is allowed to just take you over and you speak words of death over people and you curse people made in the image of God and in your anger you retaliate with violent words and you demean them at a deep level and call them fool. I mean, Jesus was talking about, he says, I tell you, you have, you have broken this word. And we talked about the power of words that are delivered out of our anger, and we say things, and they are meant to hurt. They're meant to damage. But this com So that, that's kind of candid to that sixth command, don't murder with our words. But you know what? This, this commandment is actually taking a different take on the power of words and communication. It's focusing actually more on the subtle communication process. Things that have to do with misrepresenting people, gossip, um, innuendo subtle forms of slander when we know something isn't true but we sort of help it along these things betraying words words that that are that someone thinks we're protecting them and we're hurting them behind the scene undermining them from behind happens a lot in the business and when we're in the workplace trying to get up on somebody so we just sort of pull out pull, diminish them in the eyes of others subtly you know david was crushed in psalm 55 in Psalm 55, he, there comes this moment where it dawns on him that he's being deceived, that a man he thought was his friend has actually been working against him behind the scenes. And these words just are flush with poetic passion. Look at it, Psalm 55. This is what he writes. This is in the handout as well. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. That I could bear, David says. If it was an enemy who was going against me, I could take that because I know where they're coming from. He says, nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from this person. He says, but you know what? It was you. It was you. A man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together, David says. We walked to the house of God in the throng. And he goes on towards the end of that chapter. He says, he has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his word to me, his covenant. The word, look at the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. I mean, David is really saying, you, you misrepresented. You spoke peace to me. You spoke blessing to me, but, by, but inside your heart was war, not blessing. David really, was really connecting at a deep level. You know, recently I, I was sharing with a friend of mine, I was speaking to someone about 
a, a challenge that they were having to work through because some things had, had transpired and, and um, he had expected, what we were really trying to do was process in a, in a good way the pain that, and, and to some degree the anger that he was feeling about being betrayed. And he had expected certain responses from people who had said they were his friends. And as, but what happened was something completely different. And that many of what people that he had assumed had been, would be more understanding actually were coming and using it as an opportunity to exploit him and tear him down. It was really, he was, it was hard. And I was reminding myself, I was, it was connecting with the 55th Psalm. And one of the things that we know of is that it's, you know, people will often say things behind our backs that they would never say to our faces. But <laughs> I heard one person describe false flattery like this. They said false flattery is actually quite the opposite. It's saying things to a person's face that we would never say behind their back. Think about that for a moment. Oh, it's faint praise, but inside our heart can't stand them. Saying something to your face, but I would never say that behind my back in an honest moment. See, the Lord is, is opposed to that. That offends God. It's not the way of Christ. You know, a lot of times, you and I, our faith in the Lord will be challenged on how we seek to bless people who we view as our competitors. Do we rejoice? It's a hard place to be. It's an honest place to be. But the, te the temptation to join in and to rejoice over someone else's failure or someone else's, you know, plight, uh, someone else's, you know, someone else secretly bothers us that they are getting a blessing that we, we want. And so... There is this. There will come these opportunities to undermine other people, uh, who maybe we resent for a variety of reasons. Maybe we don't like their popularity, or we feel like they have something we wish we had. And we'll talk about this some of this next week, and when we talk about covetousness. But the, in those places, the real temptation is to sort of, um, you know, find a way to sort of bring them down behind their backs. But we would never say that up front. You know, I put this in your hand. I look at this. In, this is from John Stott. He put, he, this is a, a piece that he wrote, and I think it has just an expansive coverage. Just kind of read through it. It's the last quote we'll look at in the handout here. It says, this commandment, Stott's writing. He's a Christian philosopher, writer. He says, this commandment includes all forms of scandal, slander, defamation, idle talk, gossip, all lies, deliberate exaggerations, and distortions of the truth. He says, listen, we can bear false witness by by listening to unkind rumors, by making jokes at someone else's expense, by creating false impressions, and by not correcting untrue statements. And this last one, which I thought was very, uh, you know, true, compelling, real, by our silence as well as by our speech. As Stott so vividly suggests at the end of this, this piece here, that this commandment can be broken without us ever having said a word. Hey, I, so, you know, I didn't say anything. I mean, yeah, but, but we might say, but you should have. The, the fact that you didn't say anything, when it, see, it's, it's like you should have said, you're my friend. You're my friend. You're someone I trust. Now, you know, even, even some things that might be true, it's the way that it's being positioned is undermining, and you let it go. Well, I never said anything. Yeah, but you, you should have spoke up. It wasn't enough just to not join in. Your silence was, made it, was complicit. You were complicit by your passivity. You, you, you signed off on it. You needed to speak up and at least defend it at some level, at least acknowledge that they were looking at this in the wrong way. There's another side to this conversation, but you said nothing. And in your nothing, in your silence, you judged me. You joined with it. I didn't say anything. You didn't have to. Your silence said it all. 
See, that's the whole point. That's what he's talking about here. This commandment, it really, and you know, when it comes to gossip, it, it's, it, we, we really need to be okay. We need to be careful here. Some of us are really, just, we just love gossip. And so we are receptacles for it. You know what I notice? The ones who get mo- gossip the most are the ones who do the least challenging of it. It's, it always finds its place to where it's most readily accepted. And that's something God wants to challenge us about. This principle of grace reminds us that we are to basically live as a truthful people, honest and good. Uh, the elegance of honesty, it, it has been said, it needs no adornment. The, the, in, you know, again, I go back to Jesus, in him whom there was no guile. The beauty of Christ was the essential honesty of his person. At least in part, it's the way that he represented his heart to people. That when you saw Jesus, you saw the real Jesus. There was not this, this duality of person. There was an essential cons- relational integrity to the way in which he addressed people's lives so that he could contend for truthfulness and at the same time show this enormous compassion. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I was thinking about how our culture tends to reward duplicity, and I was reminded of another song, um, another quotation from a poet-songwriter. Um, Billy Joel, although not hardly in the category of Shakespeare, um, <laughs> He, he once wrote, and I remember, honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Remember that? Honesty is hardly ever heard, you know, but mostly what I want from you. I mean, to be an honest person is something that God really would require from us. And so uh, in the time that we have left, we only have a few minutes left, the time that we have left, I want to pose some questions. And these questions are meant to get us thinking. And part of it, I'm hoping it will drive us inward into our relational context. Because part of what I'm contending for, I believe the Lord would challenge us around, is, is our communicative integrity in the context of our relationships. How do we talk? How do we respond? How do we speak? Question. Here, we'll put them on the board. We'll go like this. And we'll kind of use this as a canopy, the canopy of self-assessment. Firstly, how good are we at um, keeping things to ourselves? That's a great question. Some of us could do this really well. And others of us, we have, uh, it's, it's really hard. And, you know, one of the things the Bible says in Proverbs 11, and I'm just going to kind of underscore these questions with a quick proverb. In Proverbs 11:13, 13, it says this, a talebearer, a gossip, reveals secrets, but the person who is faithful in spirit conceals the matter. Now, that's not talking about guarding some insidious secret and becoming a co, a co sort of a codependent in a, in a lie. It's, you know what this is talking about? It's talking about can we be trusted? Can we be trusted with confidence if someone gives us, shares something with us and they say this is in confidence? Are we trustworthy? Are we a people who can hold that in confidence? Can we protect that confidence? Or, or, or do we really have a hard time? Like, I, I, I got to share it with somebody. I got to tell it. I got to spread it around, you know? And there's this, this, this sort of like, don't tell anybody. But, you know, I heard this. And see, that's the, that is not being relationally trustworthy. And again, we're not talking about these bit. We're talking about the everyday little things that happen in relationships. That there's a lot of things. Just because they could be said doesn't mean they should be said. It doesn't mean it it doesn't. And and, and we ought to be cautious and careful about how we care about our our most meaningful relationships. And we need to we need to be honorable in that. And people of trust. We're gonna. It's gonna happen to us in the workplace all the time. It's real. And in friendships, it's real. What I'm saying is, the Lord wants us to take our faith a faith that we believe in Jesus and apply it to our lives in very real, practical, tangible ways. You know, okay, and the second question, 
when it comes to our words, do our words tend to be more hurtful or more healing? Where do they tend to lean? Um, you know, this is, this is something that's is hugely important because God wants to teach us how to be a people who bless. And some of us have come from environments where it's far more easy to criticize than to affirm. You know, I, I, I sort of, that sort of was my world. And so one of the things that I'm reminded of in Proverbs 12, 18, it says this, and this is Proverbs 12, 18, a second. Remember I talked talk about how the Proverbs have so much wisdom around this. Look what it says here. It says, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the, what, of the wise promotes health. Are, do our words bring in wounding or are our words promoting health? See, this is, this is, you know, this is something to ask ourselves, this is to think about, to, to engage in some self-assessment around. Lord, what is the pattern of, of how I operate relationally in my communication patterns? How, how are people impacted by my life and by the words that I speak? Am I focusing on the negative? Am I, am I critical by nature, um, always pointing out what is wrong with this or why they're not doing this? Or is there a tendency to want to speak words of life and words of healing and words of blessing? I can tell you where the Lord falls. That's pretty clear. What are the th- and so it's a reminder for all of us. You know, in Ephesians, it says this. Check this out. It says in Ephesians 4.19, let all... It says, let all, let all corrupt words, you know, that proceed out of, our, let, let, it, let those things be dealt away. Let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth. But focus on the things that are going to be good for the necessary of edification. You know that word edification? We don't use that word as much. The word edifice is build, edification to build up. Like a building, an edifice is a building, right? To do build up is edification. Are our words building up people? All right? Are we, and look at the last part of it. Is it imparting grace to the hearers? Do we have gracious words as a part of our life? Um, Thirdly, third question just to pose out there. Are we growing as a blesser to the the present and the absent? And I differentiate it. In other words, how do we talk about people when they're not around? And that's one thing that we need to, to think about. And are we a people essentially of good report? Is it our tendency to speak well of someone who is not represented in our presence? And then what about those who are present? And what I mean by that is, are we, are we growing in our capacity to be a blessing? Again, I go back to the fact that many of us grew up without having blessing modeled. We didn't hear a lot of things said by people who were authority figures in our life, like, I love you. I bless you. Um, I affirm what God is doing in you. See, and, and so one of the things that happens in our lives is many of us, especially as we grow, as, as, as you become a parent, you know, one of the great gifts that God allowed to happen in my life is I, I, I was able to be a free person who could love and affirm my love verbally, that I love you, son. I love you, my daughter. I, you're special to me. You know, I, I, I love you. See, the, and, and, and to be able to say that uh, to, to people we care about, to be a blesser, to articulate blessings. Some of us, God wants to teach us how to speak forth blessing. We're good at criticizing. We have a hard time blessing. And some of us, it's a real struggle there. Last thing I'll say. Last question. Do we tend to speak more and more um, the truth in love? And I say truth because that takes us full circle, doesn't it? Because think about it. We, we talked about bearing false witness. Well, to speak truth is to bear good witness. It is to speak true witness. So the opposite of false witness is true witness. We are people of truth. But here's the deal. 
that truth needs to be balanced in love. Otherwise, that truth can be used as a, as a, a bludgeon on people. And I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of people who are disillusioned, who've turned away from considering Jesus because people who claim to know him have spoken truth, but they have not done it in a spirit of love. Now, there is one thing to, to speak love apart from truth, and that ends up having no boundaries, and it can ultimately do no good, and it's certainly not the way of Christ. There is no purpose for these commands, these principles of grace, if there were not truth. To, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He never he tells the woman caught in adultery, go and, he says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they are gone. He says, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. He was committed to truth, but he was extraordinarily gracious in his truth. The love of Christ prevailed. It was overlaid. All of his, think about it. I mean, it's, it's such, what a blessing if that seeps into how we live life. Committed to truth, true witnesses, people of truth, but also kind and caring and capable of loving faithfully. Real Jesus, that's how he was, full of grace and truth. This is what God wants us to be, not a people who live lies, not a people who, who are bearing false witness and rejoicing in untruth, but a people of truth, but also a people committed in love. This is the way of the Lord. And, and when we follow him and we live this way, listen, people will be blessed. Generations of people will be touched. More than we'll, people we'll know and don't even know. People who are here and people who aren't even born yet will be blessed if we live a life that honors God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this awesome privilege of being able to live in a way that would bring bring a, a, a point of testimony or, or life to others in your name. We want to be a people who do not live with um, falsehood or phony eyes. You know, as, as it's something about living as an honest person and an, and an authentic, guileless person who is committed to truth, but at the same token, extraordinarily committed to love. But these two things that oftentimes are, are not easy to, to, to blend together sometimes, it's a challenge, but for the most part, Lord, we need to be we need to be fully committed to seeking to honor you, Lord. And, and I pray that that would be something that is true, that you would continue to grow us, Lord. Grow us as blessers. Grow us as people who are able to represent your heart, who are thoughtful about our, our speech and our communications, who are careful, not careless, in the way in which we um, share our, our thoughts, that you would help us to be a people who are, at the end of the day, it will be said of us, we were life givers in your name. We want to bless even as we have been blessed. So do the work inside, Lord, that it will show up on the outside. We ask for this, Lord. We ask that you would just bless our time as we, as we close with this final song, which, which is a compelling statement about our, a yearning for honesty in the midst of a phony world. And also, Lord, we pray for your blessing over our time of giving. We ask that you be honored in it according to our heart's intent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, Lord.